bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. everyone this is the change log and i'm your host adam stokoviak this is episode 245 and today we're releasing a special episode in collaboration with google we talk with will norris the engineering manager at the google open source office about their brand new release of the open source website for google as well as their newly released internal documentation on how they do open source nearly 70 pages of documentation have been made public under the creative commons license for the world to use. We talked about the backstory of open source at Google, their philosophy on open source, their involvement in the to-do group, and much more. We got three sponsors today, Hired, Rollbar, and GoCD. I wanna tell you about our friends at Hired. We've been hearing lots of great things about them and their process to help developers find great jobs. So we reached out to them, and guess what? They were excited to work with us. And we partner with Hired because they're different. They're an intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract jobs in engineering, development, design, product management, and even data science. Here's how it works. Instead of endlessly applying to companies hoping for the best, Hired puts you in full control of when and how you connect with interesting opportunities. After you complete one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. Over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests, upfront selling information, and all this will help you to make better, more informed decisions about your next steps towards the opportunities you'd like to pursue. And the best part is Hired is free. It won't cost you anything. Even better, they pay you to get hired. Head to Hired.com slash changelog. Don't Google it. This URL is the only way to double that hiring bonus. Once again, Hired.com slash changelog. And now on to the show. We're back. We got a fun show today. Jared, this one is in collaboration with Google announcing the new docs they're releasing, the new open source website for Google. And how how awesome is it to have this conversation, Jared? Very awesome. And we have Will Norris here with us, who is an engineering manager at Google, as well as involved uh, with the Google open source office, which Will, I'm assuming that office is, I don't know, somewhere out in the middle of the ocean or something. I don't know. How do, where do you put an open source office? Uh, thanks for uh, having me on the show, guys. Uh, yeah, so uh, our open source office is part of the the larger engineering organization. Uh, we we sit. Uh, I mean, organizationally, we're we're very close to the developer relations team uh, at Google because we kind of work on very similar kinds of problems, uh, reaching out to to external developers. And but yeah, we're we're primarily based in Mountain View. Uh, geographically, we've got a handful of folks up in in San Francisco, and then a couple of remote folks. And Will, you reached out to us, I guess, kind of through uh, connection. Nadia Ekbal of GitHub, also of Request for Commits, one of our podcasts, was talking to you about some cool stuff, and you mentioned wanting to get in touch. And y'all have this cool thing happening around internal docs and Google being shared. Lots of stuff taking place. So this is kind of revolving around that that big deal. You want to kind of maybe intro yourself a little bit and then kind of tee off what is exactly happening here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, 
by way of intro, I've been at Google for uh, about seven years. I actually started in our developer relations groups. And so I, I've been uh, working with other developers is, is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I moved over to the, the open source team about four years ago. And I mean, my background in technology is in open source. Uh, just all the way back to the very beginning, I was working on a project called Shibboleth, uh, which is a, an authentication, an open source authentication uh, package. Uh, and so uh, I've been involved in open source for a really long time. Uh, and then this last year, I've now taken over and, and now manage all the day-to-day -day operations of our open source office. Uh, and one of the things I wanted to do uh, in doing that was, was to try to tell a better story of all of the different open source things that Google's involved with. Um, th there were a couple of like really specific problems that we were trying to address with this new website that we were launching. Uh, one is that Google does a lot of open source, uh, and it's it's spread out amongst a lot of different places. So just on GitHub alone, we've got m over 100 uh, organizations on GitHub. And so we've got code spread out all over the place there. Uh, and then we've got things that are not on GitHub. We have our own internal Git service. Uh, so things like Android and Chrome and Go, uh, for those kinds of projects, the, the canonical repo for those are on our internal Git service. And so prior to this website, there was no one place to really see the full breadth of all of the open source that Google does. And so that was something I wanted to, to try to provide a place to see all the different things that we're doing and how those projects relate uh, and, and all of that kind of thing. And so the current open source programs office website just wasn't cutting it. You got obviously the cool things you're doing there, Google Summer Code, we know about that, Code In, uh, the release projects you have, but just nothing that pulled these several hundred organizations together to say, this is the massive impact we're having. These are all the docs we have that show enterprises and small businesses how to better do open source. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, and this kind of actually touches on your earlier question of like, where does this open source fit or, or sit within the company? Um, and at Google, uh, the open source office is relatively small compared to the overall size of Google. Um, so most of the open source projects that you think about being connected with Google, like there are product teams spread around the company that, that are actually managing those projects and running those communities and things like that. Whereas our open source office, uh, we're relatively small and we focus on things like uh, compliance. So making sure that we advise the company on legal matters relating to open source uh, to make sure that when we're using other people's code that we're complying mm -hmm. with those licenses. And then, like you mentioned, we run uh, the like student programs. So Google Summer of Code and uh, CodeIn, uh, we have a, a peer bonus program where we recognize uh, open source contributors uh, a couple of times a year. Yeah, it's there's just a, there's a lot of open source going on at Google. Uh, and so we're just trying to tell that story a little bit better than we've done in the past. Let's talk about the the whys behind open source. But you mentioned personally that you've been involved you know, for, for a very long time in open source going way back. What about organizationally? We know uh, Google has, you know, axioms around open and not evil and things like this, um, oftentimes equating the two. But organizationally, a lot of the open source initiatives inside companies, especially companies of Google sides, tend to happen organically because engineers want to do it or people just do it and, and, and don't ask for permission. But with how much open source Google has projects, um, there's more than just a grassroots kind of engineer by engineer effort. So if you can speak on Google's behalf, why is it so important for Google as an organization to not just have all these open source projects, but then to also bundle them up in a, an attractive website and do all the things that you're trying to do to help spread the message? Sure. So 
We have had a formal uh, Google open source office for about 12 or 13 years. Uh, it was wow. started by Chris DeBona. Uh, he was hired to start uh, start the office. Uh, and just within the, the first actually few weeks of his joining Google uh, was when he started putting together the plans for Summer of Code. Uh, so this summer will be, I believe, the 13th uh, year that we've done Summer of Code. So uh, every year that, that Chris has been at Google. Um, but what's really interesting about it is while we've had a formal open source office for 13 years, we've been doing open source for far longer than that. We've been doing it since the beginning of the company. Um, and that open source is really in both open source in the code and the model is very much a part of Google. So mm -hmm. if you think back to the, the founding of the company, you know, this Larry and Sergey running, building the the foundations of Google on commodity hardware, using Linux, using, you know, all the standard open source tooling of that day. Um, so it, it, it's been present from the very beginning. But what's yeah. really interesting beyond that is that Google internally operates um, in kind of an open source fashion in that every, for the most part, uh, every engineer at the company has access to all of the source code for everything. Um, and anyone can contribute to any project at the company. Uh, so I can, you know, go and inspect the code for Gmail. And if there's some weird bug that just, you know, is really bugging me that that I know the team's not going to be able to get to, I can go and send them a patch. Wow. Um, just like a, a normal open source project. Um, and so, and that's the way that Google has always operated. Um, there's there's actually a, there's a term for this uh, called inner source, uh, right. which is it, actually really funny. Uh, when I first heard the term. I was really confused. It was a year or two ago, and it was, I was I was kind of confused because it's like, what do you mean? Like, I, I, why do you need a name for this? Because I just took for granted the fact that Google is so open about that. That's the way we've always operated, um, and right. it just never occurred to me that. And, and I've worked at some other companies where where that's not always true, but yet at, at a large scale, thinking about not having that openness um, is is painful to think about. Um, yeah. So I, I just greatly value the the, the structure that we have. Yeah, I mean, that name is relatively new, and uh, anytime right. you have an old thing that gets a new name, you, the answer to why is usually marketing, and it has helped. <laughs> I mean, it's it's done pretty well, actually, for a bit of a movement of this inner source thing and other corporations who, had, who don't operate that way natively trying to move more in that direction, I think, is, is yeah. valuable. But let's go back to your everything's open source inside of Google. So... Even the the crown jewels like the PageRank algorithm, you tell me that you come in as a as an engineer on day one and you can go look you can go look at all that stuff or something's got to be hidden, right? Uh, th there's a few hidden things, yeah. I mean, there, there's certain uh, certain pieces of code, and, and more recently, as we've started getting into some more experimental stuff, uh, mm -hmm. certain teams have, have put access controls in place and and stuff. But it's it's relatively rare. Um, certainly, just the the most sensitive things tend to be a little bit locked down, but but it's yeah. it's pretty rare. Um, that, that Google is 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 more structured to uh, to I mean to trust our employees um, and to design systems uh, such that we uh, we're very fault tolerant um, mm -hmm. and, and that that comes from a like a technical perspective but then also at a human level um, of we know people are going to screw up every now and then um, and and so we design systems to to deal with that. I'm surprised and impressed that you've had an open source office for 12 or 13 years. I was kind of you know it was tongue in cheek a little bit asking where it is. Because it seems like many companies, open source office was probably some sort of, again, marketing checkbox 
that you say, yeah, we got one of those. And that's why I said, where is it off in the middle of the ocean somewhere? Because it seems like <laughs> something that wouldn't be like core. Like it's like, yeah, we just added an open source office because people ask us if we have one and now we do. Right. So that's pretty impressive. I think that it's been uh, such a long standing effort and um, especially that Summer of Code has been going that long is just surprising. How many years has it been now for Summer of Code? I, I think we're, this will be year 13. Wow. This summer will be. That's uh, awesome. And then Code In, with, so Summer of Code uh, is our program for university students uh, to spend the summer working on, on open source projects. And then Google Code In is a newer program. I think we just completed year number seven, uh, which is targeted at high school students. And that's a contest uh, for high school students to, to do okay. smaller uh, tasks that are related to open source uh, during that, that tends to fall during the winter months, uh, winter, that, winter months in North America. So, yeah. Yeah. Code in is one aspect of what you guys are up to that I actually had never heard of until uh, you gave me access to the, the pre-release of this website. So it's doing a good job, at least in terms of uh, bringing some visibility to that. Right. Because I had never heard of it until today. Great. So you have open source in your roots from the, from way back. Uh, you have, countless open source projects do you actually maybe you've counted them recently as you've been bringing everything together how many open source projects um would you say google has as a corporation it's it's a hard question to answer um and, and it was it was a question that we we grappled with a little bit in putting this directory together because how do you actually define an open source project um so on github uh, alone uh, i'll actually i can give you a, a live number uh, today on GitHub, we have 4,300 uh, repositories, public repositories across all of our GitHub organizations. Um, so 4,300 repositories, some of those, if you think of projects like Android, where the Android open source project has, the, the last time I looked, it was some time ago, it had like 500 repos uh, related to open source. Uh, and like Polymer uh, is, because of the build system that they use, they tend to uh, have lots of small repos rather than a few larger repos. Um, so we, we think a uh, pretty conservative estimate is, is 2,000 plus uh, what, what could be considered a, a, a standalone project. Mm -hmm. And that's ranging from, you know, all the way from the really big things like Android and Chromium and, and it just the, the really notable stuff down to, you know, just uh, maybe a, a Googler's 20% project or something that they did uh, over the weekend uh, purely as an experiment or just for fun. Um, yeah. we've, this is actually something that's maybe unique uh, about Google, maybe not that our philosophy toward open source ha has always been about if at all possible, we want to help engineers releasing the, release the thing that they want to release. Um, we're always looking for how to say yes, uh, to, to an engineer that's wanting to open source something. And so that's sometimes going to mean that it's one person working on it in their free time. Uh, it's maybe not as robust or, uh, you know, doesn't have a, a whole team behind it that's going to be able to address pull requests really quickly. Um, but we're okay with that. Uh, we, we actually think that getting all of that source code out there uh, is a net positive or can be a net positive uh, for, for whoever mm -hmm. finds it. So what's the process inside of Google? I know you're formalizing things now. And again, I, I feel like a lot of these things, especially when you're native open source or you go, it goes way back, is that things tend to grow organically. But as corporations get larger and larger, even as you guys, as you said, you're starting to have more and more access controls and things like these that you know, must come into place. Um, what's the process of being an engineer with some source code here uh, on a local Git repo? And I want to take that out and open it up to the world. 
how do I go about it? What license is there a license forced upon me? What are your what's your guys' process for going about open source? Right. So uh, you hinted at this earlier. One of the things that we're uh, launching with this new site is publishing all of our internal documentation for exactly this kind of a question. Um, all of our documentation around how we release projects, how we use projects, how we uh, send patches. Um, and so for releasing in particular, uh, we, we have a we treat open source launches like any other product launch at Google. And so we have a, a calendar or a tool for managing these launches where uh, you'll have a handful of approvals that you need to get. Uh, so for uh, an open source launch, you you have a, an end reviewer. Uh, we look at it for licenses to make sure that you have a license in place. And much of this is actually automated. Um, so we have a tool that will uh, scan your repo and make sure there's a license and you have a contributing file. Uh, and if you're you know bundling any third party code that that's separated uh, in, in a way that that we require, and and then so and then this whole process normally takes place within a couple of days. Um, we we've got it down pretty pretty quick, uh, and then we we've got a tool that you go to, and once it's all approved, you go and it'll automatically create the GitHub repo for you, and you and you go and launch. Mm. Um, as far as licenses, we we tend to prefer the Apache two license. That's that's our default license. Um, if there's not an, a good reason for doing something different, and that's probably because it's just a really well worded license. It has a patent uh, grant in it that we really like. Um, and so it's just a good standard license to use, but we're totally fine. We're very, we tend to be very pragmatic about, uh, certain communities prefer certain licenses. So the JavaScript community tends to be more MIT, uh, go itself is a BSD license. Uh, and so a lot of go projects tend to also use the BSD license. Um, and, and we're totally fine with that when, when it makes sense to, you know, if you're going to do the release something in Perl, then you use the artistic license because that's what that community expects. Mm. Um, so we definitely we're very cognizant of the communities that we're engaging with and, and what the the kind of the cultural norms within those communities are. What, what uh, I'm kind of curious, you said that there's a process to do this. So how often does someone in their well-known Google 20 percent time or just anyone else that has a project come to this scenario and, and want to release something open source and get turned away from it? Like, What are the the obvious things that say, oh, this we can't release that or this, this doesn't work or, you know, how often do people get turned away from open sourcing something? Almost never. Um, it, it's very, very rare that we would find a project that we say, look, we just simply cannot open source this. Um, sometimes it's, okay, this is maybe you're wanting to release some code that's actually owned by this other team. And so you just need to make sure that they're okay with you releasing this. Um, or, or actually what happens there really often is maybe you have a dependency um, that is owned by another team. And so in order for you to release your project, you actually need that dependency to be open source as well, or else people outside the company aren't going to be able to use it. And so there there's, tends to be more about coordination. Um, things that... Uh, you know, we're certainly not going to release any projects that uh, is. So actually, here, let me give you a good example of a project we would not release. Uh, so the uh, spam filters that we use for Gmail, um, it would not be in the best interest of Gmail users if uh, the filtering algorithms were open source, because then right. the spammers would be able to look at those algorithms and say, oh, well, I know exactly how to get around these. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's one of those things where it's not even so much about um, they're the crown jewels, as you were saying earlier. It's more about it would actually damage the product um, and it would damage the users of the product. Um, so it's not actually valuable to, to open source those things. Well, it's the same. I mean, speaking of crown jewels, it's the same concept with PageRank, which would be which is already a cat and mouse game. 
uh, with sure. people trying to game the system and getting their content to the top of search results um, and, and Google trying to make that as, I don't know, merit-based uh, and relevant as possible. Well, if they all knew exactly what the algorithm was, well, you're just giving the mouse some sure. cheese or I don't know what the, how that metaphor works, but you're, you're helping the mouse <laughs> sure, out. Exactly. Yeah. So what about stuff that's not quite ready yet? Because uh, surely you guys have um, standards of quality. And I don't want to imply that any of your engineers ever write any code that's not good. <laughs> but do you ever see something that's not quite ready? Like it's half-baked? Not, it's not ready to be open source? and so Or needs more strategy, like, you mean? Let's wait six months? Or does that ever happen? So, well, I mean, I, I would push that back and say, well, what do you think is ready to be open sourced? Because we have projects that, and so part of this comes from having such um, a big portfolio of projects that, that are just really all over the spectrum in terms of size and complexity and, and quality um, that some, and different development models too, where we have some projects where it is mostly developed internally and then then released as a whole to the community. Uh, so maybe TensorFlow is a good example of this. We released a year and a half ago that that was internally uh, had, had been developed for many, many years. And we'd been using it for a long time and, and really perfected a lot of it and then released this you know kind of complete package. And now the, the future of TensorFlow is as an open source project and, and collaboratively. Uh, but then we have other projects that are developed in the open from much, much earlier in their development process. Uh, so, you know, maybe yeah. something as simple as a design doc, and they actually want to develop it in the open from the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really hard to say that there is like a particular bar of quality or of uh, whatever, you know, metric you want to use, um, mm -hmm. because I, I think that they're all OK. Um, and, and again, that, that kind of speaks to our philosophy that, that we're OK with uh, the all of these these variances in these things. The, the one thing that I've been wanting that I hope that we can do with this new website, and this is something I'm trying to do with the project directory that we're launching, is to do a better job of setting an expectation. So I, I think all of these are okay to do as long as we're upfront about what user users should expect from a given project. Absolutely. Because on the surface, it's difficult to tell the difference between the the big fully staffed projects and the, you know, experimental stuff. And and it's not to say that anyone's either one is better or worse. It's just that it to be fair to the user, we should try to be more transparent about that. Um, so one of the things that we are including in this project directory um, is it, for for a handful of projects, and we're hoping to increase this, is we're talking about where we actually use that project inside Google. So if this is something that we use to power, um, you know, whatever uh, at Google, we're, we're trying to to talk about that and, and say, you know, this is actually something that we use ourselves. Um, and you can kind of take that as a signal um, for, mm -hmm. for what to expect. And we want to do more of that. I mean, that's just the, just the kind of the first thing that we're starting with. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Messaging and signaling and these mm -hmm. things. Communication really is the the absolute key on open source success. Let's take a break here. We come back. Well, I know you have some other ideas around uh, how people can you know create these messages around what kind of a project is this. Um, recently, we saw GitHub add topics, which we were very much excited about because kind of allows you to add, you know, labels or tags to projects and give some of that messaging of what this thing is all about. And so uh, perhaps we can talk about that as well. So let's take a break and we'll take up the conversation around how you message your project, how you uh, explain things uh, on the other side of this break. 
Hey everyone, Adam Stukoviak here, Editor-in-Chief of Changelog, and I'm talking to a Rollbar customer. Rollbar puts errors in their place. Rollbar.com slash changelog. Check them out, get 90 days of the bootstrap plan, totally for free. I had a conversation with Paul Bigger, the founder of CircleCI, and he talked deeply about how they use Rollbar and how important that tool is to their developers. Take a listen. CircleCI is a continuous integration and continuous delivery platform. Our customers are the developers in an organization. Developers rely on us heavily as part of their deployment workflow. So let's assume anyone listening to this is someone who needs to use Rollbar. Someone needs to know about this tool, needs to know about this product, needs to know how it's changed how you do business because of it. I'd like them to know how important this tool is to you. And a better question might even be, could you have done what you're doing with CircleCI without Rollbar's help? We operate at serious scale. And literally the first thing we do when we create a new service is, is we install Rollbar in it. Like we, we need to have that visibility. Uh, and without that visibility, it would be impossible to run at the scale we do. And certainly with the number of people that we have. Like we're a relatively small team operating a major service. And without the visibility that Rollbar gives us into our exceptions, it just, it just wouldn't be possible. If there's people out there who ship code without Rollbar, I, I can only imagine the pain that they're going through. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate your time. So listeners, we have a special offer for you. Go to rollbar.com slash changelog, sign up, get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. That's 300,000 errors tracked, totally for free. Give Rollbar a try today. Head over to rollbar.com slash changelog. All right, we are back with Will Norris of Google talking about Google open source and the brand new shiny website, opensource.google.com. That has a few purposes, Will, and one of the purposes we teed up before the break was helping uh, you guys really explain and communicate what kind of projects you have. Um, This is something that everybody struggles with. In fact, a few episodes back, Adam and I were discussing with Chris Lamb about some throwaway code and whether or not it should be open sourced. Um, And some of the conversation there is like, how do I actually communicate that this is a throwaway? Um, Or like you said before the break, some things are experimental. Some things are flagship products that, you know, you're developing internally, but open sourcing for other reasons. Other things uh, you want the community to design it. So let's talk about that problem in general and then why you think this website is a specific solution for it, for Google at least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's certainly a problem that uh, that anyone that's doing any amount of open source is dealing with. Uh, I, I don't even, I wouldn't even go so far as to say that that this website is yet solving that problem. I think this is uh, us beginning down that path. Uh, that, that there's so much to that of how how do you set appropriate expectations? You you were talking uh, before the break a little bit about <clears throat> GitHub's new tag feature, which you know, yeah. or uh, I forget what they call it, labels or topics. They call it topics. Yeah. Topics, yeah. Um, I mean, and even something as simple as that uh, gives you at least something to pivot on um, right. to, to start to set that expectation. There's actually a number of uh, really interesting projects around this, um, around uh, like status badges. Um, you know, like most GitHub repos have these badges at the top of their readme file, um, sort of from like shields.io or, or wherever um, right. that talk about, you know, their whether their tests are passing or, you know, various things. Uh, lots of people are, are having these things. And, and there's there's a couple of efforts that that I've seen 
to try and define some set of values for for indicating the status of the project. Um, and that can be something as simple as this is like completely experimental and might, you know, kill your cat, or mm-hmm. this is, you know, we, we run this in production. Um, it, it's kind of interesting that, and I've sort of hit into this earlier, uh, that so Facebook, uh, by comparison, they've been very upfront about everything that they put in github.com slash Facebook is something that they run inside inside Facebook in production. Right. Um, and so and, and that's great. And so that that sends a really strong signal um, for, for those repos. We haven't taken that stance because I, I don't personally, I don't think that like the GitHub organization is necessarily the right place to um, try and divide. The, the problem is GitHub organizations only provide like one axis on which to divide projects. And right. I think when you're dealing with a portfolio of 4,000 repos, you need more than just one axis on which to try and, and slice and dice your projects. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to do with this project directory. So like we don't have, we don't yet have something like uh, a, a status value that that just is one of three or four different fee- uh, values that that say, is this experimental? Is this stable? Is this, you know, whatever. Um, but but that, that's absolutely the direction we're trying to go. And, and we're, we're talking very much with, uh, with Facebook and Microsoft and other companies uh, that are struggling with the same type of thing. Um, and, and we're actually collaborating, trying to come up with a, a more common way of, of expressing that kind of stuff. This is interesting because I often go to orgs on GitHub and feel the pain of basically of not being able to know what teams they have, who owns what, how the teams are formed. It's sort of just like, here's all of our code. Here's a list of it. It's ordered by most recently contributed to or most active, basically. On the right-hand side, there's some people, and good luck finding out what they actually contribute in there unless you go to their personal profiles. It's very antiquated on how you can actually dive in. So you're, you're hoping to solve that problem through this kind of site for Google. Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't know if that will necessarily solve the problem of identifying exactly which people commit to which projects, although maybe absolutely that's something we could explore down the road. Um, well, but, for example, yeah. Jared and I reach out to people all the time to bring them on the show, and it's very hard to say, well, here's something cool. You know, it starts with a project, for example. Right, right. But then we're like, who in the world do we reach out to? So that we end up basically just spamming them with an issue and with a, a humble Sorry about that, but we don't know who to reach out to. So I feel like, it, one, it's recognition. Two, it's just who is involved. So it kind of onboards contributors. It's just better informing, you know, which projects do you have and then who's involved in those projects. Yeah, it's really common. Like internally at Google, we'll have each product team or project team right. will have an internal site that identifies who's the PM, who's the tech lead, um, and may or may not list all of the engineers, but it's at least like who is the primary point of contact for this. Yeah. Um, if I just wanted to get more information, who would I reach out to? And that's something that's often really difficult for, for open source projects. You're absolutely right. I mean, like you can yeah. go to github.com slash Google and go to the people tab. You've got 1,262 uh people on your org and it's easy to go and find out who they are and follow them but it's very hard to find out who they are and what they contribute to yeah sure and we found this with a lot of things on github that you know it's actually i mean github has been great over the last couple of years and and adding more features and new things Um, but my philosophy around a lot of things has been that i never want to fully rely on github to solve this problem for us right um for a couple of different reasons one is you know our our needs are the things that we care about are going to be a little bit different you know you care a lot about being able to reach out to the primary point of contact so that you can interview them you know we care about uh, whatever other things 
Um, and, and GitHub may or may not care about those things enough to build them into the product. Right. But the other reason is that, you know, not all open source in the world is on GitHub, that it's it's great and we love GitHub and, and we use it extensively, uh, but but we don't use it for everything. And right. so any product or any kind of solution to these things that, that we're looking at, we also need to keep in mind that, you know, that we have code off of, off GitHub and, you know, GitHub is only whatever, eight years old. Another eight years from now, it may be something else entirely. And so I'm much more interested in finding ways of. So, so for example, when we were talking about um, how to represent the status of a project, um, I would love to get some of this data uh, down into the project itself. Uh, so when we were building this project directory, um, we do pull uh, a good bit of the data from GitHub's API. Um, but again, not all of our projects are on GitHub. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to rely on GitHub's API for any of this stuff because you know not everything's there and, and not everything's going to be there forever. But I would rather see this data actually live in the repo. So you have a readme file. All, all you know, major projects have a readme file that is for human consumption. It would be great if there was some file in there for, that, that had all this metadata um, for machine consumption to, to power something like the project directory that we launched. Um, and you see this in a lot of different language communities. You know, NPM uh, has, I think it's package.json um, right. and, and PHP's composer has their thing and and R packages have a description file and you've got all these different language specific ways of doing it. But I would love to come up with, you know, some kind of cross language, cross organization, whatever standard way of of expressing this data that GitHub could then use to power their UI or, you know, any other system could use to power their UI and, and, and keep that stuff in the repo itself so that it, it's portable. Yeah, because Git's great in that it's it's a distributed source control system. But when you think about something like GitHub, you, there's a lot of information around the project that's not actually stored in Git. You've got issues, you've got pull requests, you've got you know various other things. Yeah. And so I'm really interested in projects that are trying to make all of that data more portable. Well, it's similar to like the uh, contributing file license. I mean, there's a handful or change log, although there's no uh, nobody uses that the same way. The problem is that as you're identifying is everybody's using these things in different ways. And so there needs yep. to be a more formalized specification. And, you know, maybe that has to start with GitHub implementing it because, oops, Siri just talked to me. Sorry about that. <laughs> she just said, perhaps not. I was like, well, maybe you're wrong on that. She disagrees. Yeah, well. She's like the magic eight ball. <laughs> quite possibly wrong, but it seems like it has to start with GitHub. Or, sure. you know, because they're, they're the biggest player in the hosting space right now. If they would come up at least supporting a spec and saying, okay, if you put this file in your root or please don't put it in the root, put it somewhere else. We got enough files in the root of our projects. Um, <laughs> or at least make it, make it a dot file or something. Um, if you put this file in, you know, we'll, we'll pull it out. And then from there, other people will, will, will perhaps follow suit. Yep. But it, do you think that's the best strategy of getting something like that actually implemented? I, I don't know. I, I think it's I, I, it's something I'd like to explore. And so we're we actually are have been talking with GitHub about exactly this. Um, and I think they're they've are open to the idea. Um, so in this actually kind of segues, we've been talking with a lot of companies about these things um, that through uh, a group that we're a part of called the To Do Group, um, which which we can kind of talk a little bit about. That it, it's. Uh, kind of a, a collection of companies, open source offices. So the, the people that do open source at all these companies, um, we, we started this group about two and a half years ago. 
uh, to share best practices, to um, kind of just collaborate and talk to each other and say, you know, what are you, what are you dealing with? And so this is actually one of the topics that we've been talking about over the last wow. uh, few months is we're all dealing with these same kinds of problems of needing to express some more metadata. So Netflix actually has uh, exactly such a file. They, they call it OSS metadata um, that, that they have a, a life cycle field um, that, that expresses where in the life cycle is this project. So I think it's, possibly a solution. I don't know yeah. if it's the solution. I actually care less about what the solution actually is and more about uh, finding something that does. we can agree on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting that you, you know, with to do group that, uh, um, you know, you got a membership there, Netflix is in there, eBay's in there, Capital One's in there, huge contributor to open source. You are in there, GitHub's in there. So lots of, lots of larger organizations, enterprise organizations, so to speak, that have, been down the road, been developing their own software, been doing inner source potentially, even even if it hasn't been named that for very long, they've been doing this. They may have things like this. They're like, well, we feel the pain. We don't know how to describe the maturity of the project or the SLA or if it has an SLA or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So we're finding that the the conversations we're having, we're, we're absolutely all solving uh, very similar issues. And, and we're all, you know, just at different points along the path of trying to, to sort this out and figure it out. Um, it, it's been actually really interesting seeing companies like Capital One or Autodesk or uh, companies that you don't traditionally think of as open source, but companies that have been around for a really long time um, and, and seeing their approach to it because it's, they actually bring so much more uh, cultural baggage uh, when when they're trying to embrace open source, particularly if they're coming from a company that, that's not used to that kind of a development model. Yeah, right. Um, and so it is, is much, much more difficult for them than, say, Dropbox or, uh, you know, any kind of uh, startup that, that grew up in this open source world where it was it's just taken for granted. Uh, and so while they're younger, they're in many ways uh it's a lot easier for them to, to sell this to, to their management. Can you, mm -hmm. before we go too much further, can you give the listeners kind of a brief, quick rundown of the to-do group and what it is? Sure. So the group started in, I want to say it was like September, 2014. Um, it started with uh, James Pierce, who at Facebook, who's a good friend and colleague that runs the open source group at Facebook. Uh, was he had just recently taken it over from David Recorden uh, and was sending out feelers to friends and, and colleagues around the Bay Area or around Silicon Valley saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing this open source thing now. And like, I, I assume you guys have some kind of group or you talk or you meet or something. And it was like, no, not really. Like we we have one off conversations and and like Chris DeBona knows everybody and everybody knows him because he's been doing this since the nineties. Um, but for like some of these newer companies or people that have recently taken over, uh, open source at these companies, they just didn't have those connections. And so the group started by just bringing those folks together and saying, look, you know, we're all trying to do open source from a corporate perspective and, and realizing that the types of challenges that companies face in trying to do open source tend to be a little bit different than, you know, your typical individual open source developer. Um, and so this was really uh, an attempt to try and get people that are doing open source from a corporate perspective together um, and, and allow us to, to share best practices and, and just share tooling if possible. 
uh, and things like that. Have you seen a, a lot of fruit coming out of that? Or yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So it's we're now actually part of the Linux Foundation. Um, the the group started it very ad hoc, and it, it eventually we moved into the Linux Foundation. Um, what's what's sort of ironic uh, about the group is that to do there, there's a backronym for it, which is talk openly, develop openly. Um, and, and it was because it's all about, you know, within this group being open and, and, and sharing our practices. But a large part of uh, that discussion actually happens on a private mailing list, um, which is, <laughs> you know, sort of ironic. Yeah. Um, we're, we're doing it openly in private. Uh, but, but there, there's actually, I mean, there's good reason for that, that, that because we're often talking about some really sensitive things. Um, and I was talking with Adam about this, right, like um, a little bit ago of sometimes you, even when you're you're generally very open about things, there is value in being able to have a, a conversation about the people that are actually affected by it in, in a more controlled setting so that it's not being scrutinized. Uh, all the time, because as soon as you you know that everyone's watching you and everyone's going to you know take every word that you say and you try to twist it or use it or whatever, then you're much more reserved and you're just you're not going to open up in, yeah. in the same Kinda way. It goes against the open part of it, which is, you know, right. It, it actually has the the complete opposite effect because it causes people to close up yeah. and, and not be willing to share. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there, there's actually been a lot of great fruit. We we meet uh, about quarterly, um, and, and we have you know been accepting new members uh, at a pretty regular clip. Um, it, but it, with a lot of the things I'm trying to push, uh, you know, efforts that that I'm involved with to to the more, and there actually is a, a public mailing list as well. Um, it, it doesn't have near as much traffic. But so for example, we were talking about the project metadata file. Um, and, and that's actually one of those things that there's really no reason for that to be in a, in a private setting. And so I've been trying to push that conversation uh, into the, the public discussion forum. Um, and so yeah. we have a uh, we, ha we have a public repo uh, the, where I'm trying to track down like some of the prior art around this on the, the to do group GitHub org. Um, and, and so as much as possible, we're trying to push things more into the open sphere where we can. Yeah, I think when it comes to those types of things, the more people involved, the better in terms of like this is going to be a thing that all the whole open source community hopefully adopts as a way of, you know, adding this metadata to their repos. And so, um, you know, you say you don't care too much about the the details of it, but trust me, there's people who do. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh no, absolutely. Yeah, you're uh, absolutely right. This is this is go a off, Jared. Example. Tell them how you feel. No, yeah. I don't have. I only my only opinion. I've already stated it, which is like less files in the root of our projects, please. That's that's my only opinion. It's sure. definitely getting crowded. That's it's getting, for sure. Totally, this totally thing is like a super long list, and they're all they all end in you know something file. I've, I've I've gone off on this before, but you know Docker file, gem file, blah blah blah. Oh, totally. Well, and the reality is most of these, like, I'm not even sure that we need a new file, and that's the thing is I yeah. just want to make sure that the data comes from the repo that I don't want to be beholden to any one host, right? I don't want it to just live inside some GitHub database that I can only access through the GitHub API. I actually want it to live in the source files. And maybe that means using existing files. Absolutely. Um, like, so, so from that perspective, yeah, I'm totally open to the, whatever the implementation looks like. Yeah. If we don't have to add another file, by all means, let's not. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So uh, one of the things that you mentioned during the break, which uh, seems like it's a good time to talk about now with regard to the to-do group and some of the the uh, the original inspiration or the desire behind 
the documentation side of the website that you're, you're launching. We've talked about the project side and helping message those and really kind of wrangle them all into a place where people can see them. But it sounds like, to me, the exciting part of what you're launching uh, this week is this documentation of how we do open source. Did that come out of these to-do group conversations that you've been having? It, directly. Yeah, absolutely. It came out. So we've been having these kinds of conversations for two years now of, hey, how do y'all deal with, you know, employees doing things on their own time? Yeah. Uh, right. You know, GitHub just published their uh, their new policy uh, on how they deal with employees doing things on their own time and, and all of their IP policy for that. Um questions of how do you deal with how do you actually manage your github organization like how do you deal with when people leave the company and what are the tools that you use for that and, and all of those kinds of things and so we've been having these kind of one-off conversations uh for a long time the, actually the more recent one was dealing with clas contributor license agreements um which you know on and off tend to be a hot hot button issue um it you know it was widely discussed a couple of years ago when node publicly said that they weren't going to use CLAs or when joint said that they weren't going to use CLAs for node. Um, but you know, and we have our for the uninitiated, what's the CLA just, just so oh, there's sure. no yeah. acronym so, on that. Yeah. So a contributor license agreement is, um, you, what you'll see with, with some open source projects is when you contribute to the project, um, the, the project maintainer may want you to sign a contributor license agreement. And so this is uh, an explicit license of what you're contributing to the code base. Right. Um, saying that it's so there, there's a similar type of agreement called a copyright assignment agreement where you actually assign your copyright to the project maintainer. Um, that's not what Google does, and that's not what most companies do. All CLAs um, are different, though. They're not all the same. Um, well, well so, there's some sort of agreement that, like, you're contributing, and this is a license you agree to to say what we want to do or what this agreement says we do with your code is what we do with your code. So like not everybody's trying to assign IP. It's, is that yeah, right? So most CLAs are not uh, copyright assignments. That's correct. Um, but also most CLAs are actually modeled after the original Apache contributor license agreement. So uh, the Apache Software Foundation, most people know the standard like Apache 2.0 license, mm -hmm. um, but they also have a contributor license agreement, uh, which Years ago, Google took the Apache license, sorry, the, the Apache CLA and modified it very, you know, put put our name in place of Apache um, and just modeled ours after theirs. Um, and since then, you know, Facebook has modeled theirs after ours. And uh, I think Yahoo might use a similar one. I don't remember what Microsoft uses, but most of these companies do have some form of CLA and most of them are very similar. Uh, in language uh, based on the Apache CLA. And that makes it a whole lot easier for uh, for lawyers that are reviewing these to look at it and say, oh yeah, this is a standard Apache CLA. I know what this is. I understand it. Yeah, we can we can sign this. Right. You mentioned, uh, we're going to take a break here in a second or two, but uh, you mentioned James Pierce a couple of times. And for the listeners, longtime listeners know that we had James on the show back on episode 211. And that show was titled Open Source at Facebook. And one of the reasons, and what we talked in the pre-call kind of preparing for the show about this, one of the things that Jared and I were very excited to do that show with James about was because having a model, you know, which is what you're doing with the documentation here, having a model for other enterprises or other, you know, sure, not everybody's the Google size or the Facebook size, but there's a lots of companies out there that are looking to find better ways 
to embrace open source, to lead open source, to allow open source to be part of their business. And, you know, I couldn't be more excited about you all doing this. So um, with that said, we're coming up on our second break here. When we come back, we're going to dive a little deeper into some of the docs that you all are sharing and some of the hopes and dreams behind them and potentially how those who uh, can, can appreciate them can check them out. So we'll break right now. We'll be right back. Head to gocd.io slash changelog to learn more about this open source continuous delivery server. GoCD lets you model complex workflows, promote trusted artifacts, see how your workflow really works, deploy any version anytime, run and grok your tests, compare builds, take advantage of plugins and more. Once again, head to gocd.io slash changelog to learn more. And now back to the show. All right, we're back with Will Norris talking about Google's open source documentation. Now, you've already had this open source office website out there. This is a new and improved version of it, opensource.google.com. Um, I believe slash docs is the URL. We've got some early access to this, so our URL is a little different than maybe the ending version of it. But um, you know, I mentioned the call, Will, with James at Facebook, James Pierce at Facebook. And uh, Jared, you can back me up on this. Like, I was so excited to have that conversation with them because we obviously, we've been doing this show since 2009. So it's been forever. Like, we, we love open source. We think it's the lifeblood of the future of software and what we're doing. So to see organizations like Google, like Facebook leading the way, but in particular, not just leading the way in terms of like sustaining and funding and employing people to maintain software but also very much so documentation like people underestimate how important documentation is and to see you do this is is a cool thing because you're helping so many organizations lead the way i I couldn't say it any better but uh let's talk about this so this wasn't in place before you championed this how hard was this to sell to anybody else was this a big ordeal to get in place what was what's the behind the scenes of this so it was it was a little bit scary uh, just proposing it at first. Uh, so so what's it's important to kind of set the the stage for this that these docs are uh, quite literally our internal documentation for how we do open source. Um, so this is I said this a little bit earlier of how we release code, how we patch, how we bring it in. Um, but this is. We've done very, very minimal cleanup to these docs, and it's mainly to remove uh, references to internal things that aren't really relevant or to remove email addresses um, or or some basic things like that. But for the most part, um, these are just identical copies to what we've had as our internal uh, documentation for doing open source for many, many years. Um, And so what's kind of interesting about that is we actually did leave in um, we, we didn't try to cater it to an external audience. Um, and so we're, we're very upfront about this is the way that we do open source. We're not trying to be prescriptive. Um, the way that we do open source is not going to be right for every other company. And so you should definitely not view this as a how-to guide. Um, but, and we said this in the blog post when we announced the, the site, that in the same way that viewing another engineer's source code and seeing how they solved a particular problem in their code is useful. We, we hope that seeing how we address certain open source problems is useful, even if you choose to go about it a different way. 
Um, I I think that there's value in just seeing how others solve those problems. And so that's what we're really hoping to achieve here is just by being transparent about our docs aren't perfect. um, Our processes aren't perfect. Some of the things that you read might not make sense for someone outside the company. Um, And so there there may be a few things in there that that just you know, don't don't stick quite as well um, because it, it all of these docs were originally written for an internal audience. Um, but rather than trying to write a different set of documentation for an external audience, we thought that it would be really valuable to just put it out there and say, look, this is what we have. Very nice to see it also licensed liberally as well. Creative Commons attribution license. So uh, in the spirit of open, it's, it's out there for others to use with yeah. attribution. Yeah, absolutely. So Adam had actually asked me that uh, earlier about whether we were open sourcing this site, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing that comes up often in the to do group that a lot of the, the tools that we have built uh, us and other companies um, are not open source for various reasons. Um, and so the, the site itself is not being open source. But as you said, the documentation we are putting under a CC by license because we want people to be able to take this and use it. Um, we're, we're not actually putting it in a, a public GitHub repo because we're not really trying to collaborate on these docs. We're it's, it's not really the goal of what we're trying to do here, but we do want people to be able to take it uh, and, and apply it and use it yeah. in, in a way that makes sense for them. These are they're more of an artifact of the way that you're doing things as opposed to a working document of the way you want to do things. And so there's no reason to have community involvement around the creation of these because they are a reflection of what Google's doing internally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The contribution and conversation can blend on GitHub quite easily. Like, so sometimes open sourcing something might simply just to be having a conversation around it rather than contributing to it. So for those listening that dig into this, uh, these docs, if they have questions, conversation they want to have around something, what's the best way to go about like reaching out to somebody to say, hey, well, I've, I checked out your policy on GitHub and Google. Uh, I've got some questions. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, so like on the site, we do have a feedback mechanism, uh, which is like a standard way to leave feedback on Google sites. Um, and so that does come to us and, and you can leave that. That's more really for like reporting bugs and things like that. Um, but for really having a conversation, what we're hoping to do um, is to push those conversations toward the to-do group. To the So it's um, to-do to group, all in word, at googlegroups.com. You'd have to go and, and join the group. Um, but that's a, a public group that anyone can join uh, because it's. I think the, the more interesting conversation is not just around, hey, Google, I saw that you did this thing and I want to talk about it. You activated Siri a few minutes ago, and I actually just activated Google now <laughs> by saying, uh, okay, I think Google. I said, okay, Google. We've uh, created really our own prison, haven't we? We have. Um, so I, I think the the interesting conversation is not just looking at how Google th- does things, but to have and not having that in a private context, but to have a public discussion around, okay, so Google says that this is how they do things. You know, and then and bring in other companies and say, how does your process compare? And can we and, and these are the kinds of conversations we've had um, in, in the smaller context within the city group. But I really would like to have these in a more public setting, um, which is one of the reasons why we're putting these docs out there is we, we would love to invite that conversation. Um, yeah. and, and I hope that the to the to do group becomes a, a good forum for having that conversation. Let me just give a little, I guess, constructive uh, feedback on the to do group website, because. 
the way it looks is it doesn't look very much like you are invited to come join this group. Mm -hmm. It looks very much like, hey, check out what GitHub and Facebook and Adobe and Microsoft (laughs) and Netflix are doing. But, you know, maybe you run a five person, you know, development agency. It doesn't say every corporation that wants to do open source should be a part of this. And so you're saying that's what you want. You want more people to come join. Uh, I think that messaging is lacking a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the site has not actually been updated since we launched in 2014. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if that's actually true, but I, I think it is. Uh, and, and it's, we actually, like I said, the, the the origins of the group were very humble, and it was just a few of us getting together to say, hey, let, we should talk. Right. And it was it was really put together in about four days, um, right before um, uh, whatever, the there was a big Facebook event uh, right before it. Mm. Uh, and so we actually didn't know how we were going to deal with accepting new members. And so we were trying to figure that out. Um, But separate from like the formally joining the group and that involves like, I think being a member of the Linux foundation and things like that, there is a public mailing list that anyone can join. Um, And this, you don't even have to like be a member of the to do group. Um, You don't have to join the Linux foundation, anything like that. There's just a public mailing list. And I'm not actually sure that it's even linked to from the website. So I will make sure that that gets fixed. Um, because I, I think there, there is a good opportunity for, for companies of any size, individuals, um, anyone that's interested to, to be able to be a part of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should definitely get that, uh, address and put it in the show notes for people interested. I'd be interested even just to lurk on there and just be a fly on the wall because, uh, I'm not, you know, running a corporation that is interested in open source. I guess you could consider unless you consider the change log or. Uh, I might consider us a small things, business but... that cares about open source, honestly. I mean, because our right, site is open but... source, we clearly care about it. Right, right. Well, and I would even but say that, being you know... Said, I would love to be involved in those conversations and even just, you know, hear some of the, the trials and tribulations that everyone's going through because, yeah. you know, being people who are involved in open source, I think we probably have insights to share. Sure. Yeah, and maybe the to-do group is not necessarily the right venue for that because, you know, it was created to to serve a very kind of specific need that, that we didn't feel was was being addressed at the time. And so mm-hmm. by by just publishing our docs in the way that we are, anyone can, you know, reference those docs in whatever community they're part of. Yeah. Um, and, and we're happy to to go to where the audience is and, and to have those conversations in, in the venues that make sense. So, yeah, I mean, there's no no reason why it, it has to be within that one mailing list or anything like that. Right. Sure. Well, one thing you said to me in the in the prep call for this was around the to do group. You said this is for companies who have or have the need for a dedicated open source office and or open source resources. Mm. Right. Yeah, th- that was kind of our our general very rough litmus test when we started the group was um, it, it was kind of targeting companies that are of sufficient size that they have need for dedicated open source resources um, right. where sufficient size is intentionally undefined because it's going to be different for different companies. Um, and, and that's totally okay. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea. It was that it, it just, we felt like the kinds of problems that a company faces is different when you're a you know a two person startup like changelog or or whatever or versus right. a 100 person company or a 1000 person or a 10000 person yeah let's let's focus a little bit in on the docs cuz i think we've we've covered that to a large degree we have two two big angles creating and using and inside of the creating side uh you have releasing a project 
which drills down. You have GitHub at Google, so how Google approaches GitHub, open source patching, personal projects. Any of these stand out as something that you'd like to maybe uh, hatch open and just discuss a little bit, anything that is unique to Google or interesting to our audience? Um, sure. I mean, like, so I know, Adam, you were kind of interested in the, the GitHub at Google, um, and, and so I'm happy to talk about that too. Uh, so th this this particular page is talking about how um, the way that we have sort of embraced GitHub. Uh, so kind of an in interesting tidbit. Um, my I joined the open source team originally, whatever it is, four years ago, um, originally as a 20 percent project um, mm. that I was working on Google Plus. Um, I was an engineer working on the API and. There were a number of teams that at the time we didn't release things on GitHub. We still release things on Google Code, uh, which was our hosting platform at the time. And a, a number of, of teams were saying, look, the, the developers we're trying to reach, they're on GitHub. This We need to be there. And so we're like, OK, let's let's do it. And so my I spent a 20 percent project for about a year of managing our GitHub uh, organization. Originally, it was just GitHub.com slash Google. Um, and so that was um, kind of my introduction to the open source group at Google. And I, I managed that for about a year and then eventually came on full time. Um, and so now it has become a, a very you know major part of the way that we uh, publish open source and the way that we engage with that community. Uh, and mm -hmm. so we have some policies around uh, how just and part of it is just uh, practical things of how we deal with security uh, on GitHub of, you know, we require everyone to have two factor auth enabled. Um, we generally uh, encourage uh, Google employees to use existing GitHub accounts if they have them. Um, some people really like having work and personal stuff separated. And, and for those that really want that, we're, we're totally fine accommodating that. Um, but we found that, number one, that that can be challenging from a technical perspective. Um, but I actually think it is in the employee's best interest uh, to use the same account because you're not going to be at Google forever. Um, right. and, and when you go, like Google, uh, GitHub has done a really good job of, of building up uh, the, the reputation of an of a engineer or of a, of a user on GitHub. So, right. you know, you have your, your contribution timeline and you have all of these things. And you were saying yourself, like you want to go to a person's profile and see what do they work on or mm -hmm. what have they worked on in the past? You know, some people use GitHub as their resume for better or worse. Um, and so we actually think that there's a lot of value in just using that account for, for work stuff as well so that it's, it stays with you. Uh -huh. And so, and then well, we, we deal with things like what happens when someone leaves the company and, and stuff like that. And we've got policies yeah, around all of that. Yeah, it gets really hairy. Mm -hmm. uh, interested to hear uh, your your policy around personal projects, which is part of this documentation. GitHub just made waves this week with their new employee IP policy, which is very much allowing the employees to maintain copyright over things that are personal projects. Um, historically, and it looks like uh, Google has been this way, where anything you work on on Google Time is Google's, even if previously it was yours in terms of the property. Um, can you talk about that a little bit in terms of what's out there and and, and correct me because I'm probably mis misapplying it? Yeah, I was going to say, let me correct you on that. Um, Thank you. So, yeah, what our policy is, um, it's not that we're we're claiming any rights to things that you did prior to employment at Google. It's that any work that you do, any additional work that you do um, on those projects. Of course, like anything that you did prior to employment at Google, that's yours, that's fine. Um, right. But if you when you continue to contribute, then Google potentially uh, owns the, the IP for that. The IP for the improvements? So let's say I have uh, Jared Widget 1.0. 
that I created on my own time. <laughs> and then I come into Google and I was like, oh, you guys, you know what you guys need is Jared Widget 2.0. I'm just going to improve this on company time. And so now Jared Widget 2.0 is completely owned by Google or just the parts that I worked on or it's really hairy, I'm sure. It, it does get really hairy. And, and that's actually kind of the thing that that I think maybe got missed with uh, with GitHub's announcement is that, you know, GitHub does a really great job of taking complex things and making them look simple. Um, they've done that with Git. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done that w- with many things. Uh, yeah. But this is one of those areas where you can try to make it look simple, but a lot of them it's just not. Um, that employment, all, all of these legal things are rel- relatively complicated. And so our policy and, and what you see on the site is that we we realize we can't come up with a, a simple blanket rule. And the thing that really gets you um, that, that makes it super complicated uh, in in employment law and in most uh, areas talk about uh, whether the work is within you know the the research areas of the company or, or a product that the company is working on or might be working on, um, and, and that gets really complicated at Google because we're involved in so many things. Right. Um, and so our approach to this has been that we we have a committee uh, called the Invention Assignment Review Committee, um, which is what's talked about on this page. Um, and if you have a project where you want to own the IP, um, you can you know bring it to this committee and they will review it um, and say, okay, yeah, this is you know outside of the scope of what Google works on, and 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 really outline the conditions under which you could continue to to work on that and own it. Um, so we very much have a process where employees can do side projects and they can own the IP and all of that. Um, but it's not the kind of thing where we can just draw a bright line in the sand and say, OK, if you're on this side of the line, you're good to go, because it, it always has to be dealt with on a case by case basis. Yeah. One thing, too, that blurs the lines there, Jerry, with GitHub's announcement, and this is quoting courts, so I'm not sure how accurate it is. It's a journalist. Um, it, it could be not spoken correctly, but it says as long as the work isn't related to GitHub's own, in quotes, existing or prospective products and services. Now, right. if that were a Google announcement, seeing the same thing, you all have self-driving cars, you have search <laughs> algorithms, page rank. So it's what could not be a Google product. You know, so it's, it's, it'd be kind of hard. So that committee, uh, you know, I don't know how accessible they are or how dare I say human, I just mean more like, do you talk to an email address or do you actually talk to people? That's kind of good to have though, because then you can actually have some formal way to say, hey, I made this thing. I want to keep it mine. Is that possible? Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's real humans that, that you can talk to. And, and like the, the, you know, the, the phrase there that you quoted, like, I'm not a, a lawyer, especially right. not an employment lawyer. I don't know exactly how that should be applied in all cases. Uh, and, and there's sometimes different jurisdictions and there's all these different things. Um, so that's why ex- exactly why we have this committee um, to provide some clarity uh, to, to employees that they just want a, a clear answer. Yeah. Just reminds me of that Silicon Valley yes. episode where, they had to figure out if he wrote a single line of code while he was with his clock. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, well, Chris DeBona, uh, the guy that founded our open source office, was a technical advisor on Silicon Valley. And so we oh, actually nice. they actually advised them on exactly that scene. Wow. Yeah, awesome. it, it's, it's actually pretty accurate. <laughs> That's funny. Well, uh, let's we've got about four ish minutes left in our estimated time for the show. Um, and I don't want to go without talking about one thing which is growing we're all trying to better support better grow open source and one blog or one one doc you have here is on funding and 
We have a show called Request for Commits, as you mentioned, Nadia before, Nadia Ekbal, by the way. Uh, her and Michael Rogers produced that show, rfc.fm or changelaw.com slash request for commits. Oh, that's actually not a request for commits. It's rfc slash rfc, my bad. You know, we're big on sustaining, maintaining the human side of code. Uh, what is your stance on funding and sustaining open source, and how do you go about doing that? At yeah, Google. So not you personally, at Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I personally give, you know, whatever you actually I do. I do fund uh, like I'm a, personally a member of the Software Freedom Conservancy because it's, you know, something I believe in a lot. Uh, but as a company, uh, yeah, we take that really seriously uh, of the, the need for sustainability in open source. Um, and so we have uh, an outreach team uh, within our open source office that one of the the main focuses uh, that that they have is ensuring uh, sustainability of open source in a lot of different areas. And sometimes that is simply you need some money. Um, you know, a few years ago, uh, in the wake of Heartbleed, uh, the the open SSL bug that that affected so many people, uh, the uh, core infrastructure initiative was created within the Linux Foundation. And that's a, a group to provide funding for so many of these projects that make up uh, really the, the basic infrastructure of the internet, but are not being cared for in the way that they need to be. They're not being funded in the way that they need to be, um, pursuant to you know how critical that they really are to the internet being a, a, a safe place to, to actually operate. Um, so we, you know, we contribute to, to CII, uh, we contribute to to a number of different things, but then also even outside of the monetary, uh, th really the the core reason why we do things like Google Summer of Code and Google Code In, which is where we we expend a lot of our energy, is m ensuring the sustainability of uh, of contributors, of making sure that the the next generation of developers are aware of open source and that they're getting involved and that you know all of these projects have. Uh, this this fresh lifeblood, I guess, if you will, of contributors to to take on those projects. So, I mean, everything that we do within our outreach team is about is focused on sustainability of open source in the many forms that that takes. Mm. That's awesome. Well, obviously, I mean, we we really care about the future of open source, and money doesn't always solve things. So, and sustaining can be broken down into funding supporting nurturing uh guiding google summer code is obviously a good thing for that just giving guidance to those those folks who are out there who, who are making new software and new open source projects giving them mentors to follow giving them uh resources like this to to follow potentially so certainly appreciate that but uh well what uh what else can you share about what's going on here with the docs that you all are sharing these are internal obviously as you mentioned before so this funding one we mentioned uh, GitHub of Google, maybe even your licensing or how you handle personal projects. What else can we highlight before we close out? Um, sure. I mean, and then the other piece uh, of all of this that we hadn't really touched on is how we we use open source code. And I think this would be something that it, it's something that someone's going to have to go through and, and really look through carefully um, to, to see how it applies. But a huge part of, of any company, even if you're not releasing open source code, you're not releasing your own projects, uh, most every company is almost certainly using open source code um, in, in some form or another. Um, and depending on uh, the licenses of those uh, the packages that they're using, depending on what they're doing with them, if they're shipping them to customers, um, 
that there are different obligations um, that, that you take on. And so that's that's the other half of, of our open source team. Uh, we have our outreach team and we have compliance of how do we make sure that we are respectful of those licenses? Mm-hmm. Um, not not just because, I mean, yeah, we're, we're legally obligated to do so because it's in the terms of the license, um, but it's the right thing to do. Like th- this person put this project out there for free and we're, we're able, we're deriving a, a huge amount of value from it um, that we want to acknowledge them. If, if that's all they ask, you know, give me acknowledgement, which is what many open source licenses require. Um, you know, we're more than happy to do that and we, we want to. Uh, so we, we actually spend a lot of energy in uh, keeping track of all of the open source code that we use inside Google. And it's a it's a lot of code. Uh, it's it's literally it's hundreds of millions of lines of open source code uh, that we use inside Google. Um, so keeping track of that is is a lot of work, but it, it's something that we feel is really important to do. And so for those out there following along with this show to take the next step. Obviously, you got opensource.google.com, which is a new URL. The the old site was developers.google.com slash open hyphen source, which I'm assuming will now redirect. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And then you've also got todogroup.org, which you can check out. And I believe uh, you'd mentioned a mailing list that people can email for feedback, which is todogroup at googlegroups.com. Is that right? That's right. All right. We'll put all those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And more importantly, thank you for reaching out to us and planning this show with us. It's, it's always fun to coordinate announcements like this. It's a big deal for us to have this conversation. It's a big deal for the community to, to, to have this conversation, to kind of humanistically dig into this announcement. You know, you're going to put a blog post out there. It'll have one, one version, and then they can actually hear directly from you all the backstory, all the behind the scenes of this fun stuff. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Appreciate being on it. All right, that wraps up this episode of The Changelog. Join the community and Slack with us in real time at thechangelog.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Changelog. Special thanks to our sponsors. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. Huge thanks also to Breakmaster Cylinder for the awesome beats for our shows. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.